Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Jason Day, your host. And today we visit with Steve Adams. Steve serves as the children's pastor at Saddleback Church in California. And for over 25 years, Steve has mentored children's ministry leaders all over the world. Currently, he leads a dynamic staff who serves seven California campuses and three international campuses. Today, Steve shares with us some very important leadership insights, including developing strong relationships between lead pastors and staff pastors and diffusing landmines when leading through change. So we invite you to join us and listen in on our conversation. Steve, it's such a joy to have you with us on today's podcast. Welcome to Church Leaders. Well, thanks, Jason. It's an honor to be with you. Your new book, Children's Ministry on Purpose, is chock full of biblical and practical ways to approach ministering to children and to their families. And as I've been reading through it, it's a really solid approach to being effective when it comes to leading children toward what you call true spiritual health. What I really appreciate about the book is that not only do you really key in on a lot of the nuts and bolts of children's ministry, but this really is, Steve, a leadership book. I mean, you tackle some really important leadership topics uh, that really apply to anyone who's in ministry leadership. I mean, you, you look at things like developing volunteers, what it means to become a leader people will follow, what it means to lead through change and how to effectively lead through change. And one of the things that you say is that good leaders are good followers. Can you take a few minutes to explain what you mean by that, specifically in terms of serving on a ministry staff at church? Sure. There are some individuals who think that if you have a, a certain title or a certain position in the church, that you're, you're almost, uh, it's almost like you have immunity from being held accountable to follow leadership. You know, if, uh, because you're a pastor or a senior pastor, of course, you have people you're accountable to. Of course, uh, if you're a youth, a children's, a music, music pastor, you, you have people that you're uh, accountable to. But anybody that's leading in the local church, you have individuals who are following you. And if we're not careful, it's very easy to set a standard for them that we're not willing to keep ourselves. And what I've learned over the years, and quite frankly, the hard way, is uh, you. I, I'm a big believer in this this idea. You can't really become the leader that God intends you to be until you first become a, the follower that God wants you to be. As we have, we set expectations, and we have um, expectations for people to follow our leadership, and any leader in the local church would say, well, yeah, I'd, I'd like for people to follow my leadership. But how is that leader modeling that followership? How is that leader modeling following someone else's leadership? And even as a senior pastor, you know, uh, as the, the ultimate leader in the church, as God's voice for that local church, people are much more apt to follow that senior pastor if that pastor has modeled for them what following looks like. And it's a little harder for the senior pastor, I understand, because of the position and title that they carry. But for me, as a children's pastor, if I can't follow Pastor Rick's leading, even if he is uh, given a directive that maybe I don't agree with, maybe I, I don't think that we should start or launch what he wants to do. Maybe I don't think that the idea that he's given us is a good one, but it makes no difference 
he's the senior pastor of this church, and my responsibility is to follow him and then to align with his vision. But how can I expect the people who are following me to align themselves with me if I'm not first willing to do it with my pastor? So it's, it's the seed sowing principle at work. You know, you will reap what you sow. And if I want people to follow my leadership, then I have to model that by authentically following my pastor's leadership. And I just don't think a leader can ever really develop the qualities of leadership that he or she needs until they first learn how to follow. That's good. As you say that, I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're probably, you know, I know this for a fact, that they're staff pastors, children's pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders, whatever, that are in kind of maybe that place that you kind of uh, spoke about, that they're in a place where they don't feel really um, in line with the direction or the leadership that their their lead pastor is taking. Um, they're kind of wrestling with that. What would you say to them in the midst of that? Like how can they kind of work through maybe some of the, the frustrations that they're sensing, but also um, – you know, be respectful and honor the, the lead pastor? Sure. It's a great question. I, for me, it comes down to a, a definition of terms. And here I, I tell my team the, that, that I serve with, it's not about agreement. It's about alignment because agreement is easy. If my pastor wants to do something and I agree with it, well, there's no effort on my part. There's nothing I need to do. I agree with it. But it's only when I don't like it or I don't understand it or I don't agree with it that alignment comes into play because alignment is deliberate. Alignment isn't a – it's not a gift. It's not – So I don't wake up some mornings and think, oh, I feel a little more aligned today than I did yesterday. <laughs> it's, it's a deliberate choice to follow leadership because God has put this person as the head of this church and, and God's representative of this church – and it's my responsibility to align with this person, both in my words and in my actions, uh, and also in my attitude. And if I'm unwilling to do that, almost in every case that I know of, Jason, if a leader is, is unwilling to align themselves with their senior pastor, you can look back into, that, into the department or the team that that person leads, and you're going to find uh, a faction that are carrying out the exact same attitudes and actions that that staff pastor is. And if I, if I come to a place, and I've been in situations where uh, I, I really truly did not agree with what, what leadership was doing. It wasn't unethical. It wasn't uh, unbiblical. It was just a matter of tactics and operation. I just didn't agree with it. And it wasn't an easy thing to just say, well, I don't agree, so now I will shift into alignment. Now, we're not robots, so it's a process, but I had to really lean on the Lord to help me to change my, my thinking and to, to change my attitude so that I could authentically align with my senior pastor for the health and for the sake of the church and the church body, and then also so that the people who are following me, even if they're not aware of that situation— there's a, it, there's a big spiritual principle connected to that. Even if they're not aware, if I'm not living out the principles that I'm teaching my team, eventually that's going to catch up to me. And I know that there are uh, – there, there's always, in every church, there's always moments where 
a staff pastor is not going to be in favor of a decision or um, a direction that the senior pastor is taking a church. But the reality is that person is a senior pastor, not me. Right. And my responsibility is to support their vision. And it, it sounds a little direct, but the day that I can't shift my attitude and even my actions into alignment, if I'm so 180 degree opposed to what's going on and I cannot find the wherewithal to align with my leader, that's an indication that I should probably consider leaving. Because if I stay in that environment, not aligned, it will eventually uh, seep into my heart. It will, it will eventually show up in my work product, and other people are then going to see that. And then that's on me. Mm. Uh, whether it's, it's fair or not, that's, that's, not the, that's not the question. It's a matter of there is a biblical principle to this idea of alignment and what uh, God expects in the structure of the church as a staff pastor my job is to align, period. It's not agreement, it's alignment. And, um, and like I said, it's not something that, that just comes easy. It, it is a deliberate, conscious decision. That sounds like it's, that's really actually a, a growing time as well for a staff yeah. pastor to really be going through some of those seasons with the right attitude, as you said. I, I think that opens us up to allowing God to really um, help shape us um, and to the men and women that he's called us to become. I referenced the story of David and in the book and how, you know, when he was uh, in the caves and he was running for his life during that time period, God was using that to do exactly what you just said, Jason, which was to uh, to prepare him. And it's very easy for us to think that, man, we know what's best or, boy, that's not going to work. And I, I can't tell you how many times my senior pastor said, man, we're going to do this, do that. And, and I just can't see how it's going to come together. I can't see how the gears are going to work together. This looks like it's going to be a train wreck. Then six months later, it's this unbelievably successful, effective thing. And then I sit back and go, huh, that's why he's a senior pastor and I'm not. Let's kind of flip this around from the other side, because you've had, like you said, nearly 28 years of experience in the local church. Um, serving as a, a children's pastor, serving on staff. What would you say to lead pastors that perhaps they could do to help nurture stronger relationships with their staff pastors, um, to help kind of make these these seasons where there may not be as much alignment a lot easier to get into alignment? Are there, are there intentional things that pastors you've served under have done that you said, wow, that, that's that been meaningful and that's helped me follow well? Yeah, well, I can give you, uh, here are two things that just came to my mind as, as you were saying that. Uh, one is presence and the other is awareness. And and here's what I mean by presence. The, I, I don't mean that a, a senior pastor needs to be at everything that that the children's ministry is doing or that youth ministry is doing. Uh, I'm not insinuating that at all. But just presence in, in the sense that the senior pastor is, is visible enough in, in the, the life of those who are on his team that they know that, he, that, that he's with them. And by being present, it leads to that, that next thing that I mentioned, which was awareness. A lot of times uh, in children's and youth ministry especially, when, when we know that the senior pastor is at least aware 
of our struggles, that is an incredible encouragement. What is really frustrating for children's and youth pastors is when, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to do. Um, and I call it the 99.9% rule, which is in children's ministry, 99.9% of what we do, no one knows about. No one knows about, you know, what, what we have to prepare, the phone calls we have to make, what, what has to be constructed, bought, assembled, uh, the pastoring that goes on, you know, in the shadows and, and all. There's a whole lot that happens that a lot of people are unaware of. And they're unaware of it until that children's ministry leader doesn't do it. And then whenever they don't do it, now all of a sudden, uh, hey, well, what happened to this? What happened to that? And there's just a lot of things that, that, that have to be done that are unnoticed. I would encourage senior pastors to, to just be intentional about being present enough in their, their staff's life that they're at least aware of what some of their struggles are. Because for a senior pastor just to say, hey, man, I, uh, I know you guys had, are, are having a tough week this week with Easter coming up. You're having to you know, bring on a lot, of, a lot of new volunteers, and you're making a lot of phone calls. Just want you to know I appreciate it. That one comment will go a long way with a children's ministry leader, a long way. And so if a senior pastor just has enough presence in her life to be aware of some of the struggles or, or some of the victories, um, some of the challenges in front of them, it builds a lot of strength and a lot of unity, and, and it, it creates um, a great sense of loyalty with that staff. Yeah, I, I imagine. That's, that's powerful, just uh, being able to speak into our lives and let them know that, they're, that that staff pastor isn't just kind of out there on their own. Um, but like you yeah. said, that, that that lead pastor's there for them and has got their back and, you know, is is um, attuned and aware, as you said, to some of the struggles and challenges and and, and some of the things that they've been facing and, and working through in, in serving serving the church. So I, I think that's great advice for, for our lead pastors. Um, and see, even with mm-hmm. the, uh, the lead pastors, that uh, I mean, and you know this firsthand, of all the things that you have to carry— in the course of the week. And yet most of the people are evaluating you based on a 40 minute message. Right. Yet they don't, they don't understand the hours and hours and days and days, of all the other things connected to what a senior pastor has to do and the huge weight that they have to carry. And even with the staff pastors, when, when a senior pastor, you know, is present enough to, to just be aware of what's going on, that even helps the staff pastor to even be more conscious of the fact, man, my senior pastor's busy, yet he came over here today to say, hey, guys, I appreciate what you're doing. It just, again, it just goes a, a really long way, and it really helps to build a strong sense of continuity between the two. What would you say to a lead pastor who uh, maybe the, the situation they're in, you know, they're, they're at an average church here in, in North America, and, and they don't have all the resources to have a, a large staff. They may not even be able to have a children's pastor, um, a trained children's pastor who is, is part of their staff, but they're working with volunteers. I know in your book you talk a lot about developing volunteers as far as children's ministry, but if you're thinking about that, that lead pastor, maybe at a smaller church, who doesn't have a children's pastor on staff, what encouragement or advice would you give them when it comes to helping develop the children's ministry? Again, another great thought. I, 
I would encourage that pastor to to champion that children's ministry, so that pe- if because if people see that it's a it's a big deal to the senior pastor, then they'll be a lot more likely to want to be a part of it. You know, because there's a saying that we use uh, in children's ministry. It's, not unique to children's ministry, but we say no one wants to jump on a sinking ship. So don't stand in front of the congregation and beg for people in the nursery or in the elementary children's church room, because if you don't, we have to shut it down. There's no one in there. It's it's chaos. It's, you know, I mean, you're, you're literally just, um, you know, killing the that ministry even faster with that, because no one wants to be a part of that. But for the senior pastor to champion children's ministry, and not in a disingenuous way, but when the, when the senior pastor realizes, now wait a second, I, at my child's earliest stage in, in their life, I began to teach them to talk. I began to teach them to walk. We don't wait to teach our kids those things until later on. We do it as early as possible, and the reason why is just the way God has built uh, the human body. The younger the child, the more pliable, the more moldable, the more teachable they are. So, and that's why and these days they're teaching children second languages very, very early because they can learn it so much quicker. They're, they're so much more pliable at young ages. And why, if we've amped up the academic world with, uh, uh, in terms of, of child development, if, if we, even socially, we tried to expose our kids socially uh, and to situations as early as we can to, to help them learn faster. Why would we treat the most important aspect of this child's life, their spiritual development, any less? But for some reason, we do. For some reason, we have treated that as almost uh, an afterthought. And I, I've seen a lot of churches that, uh, or heard a lot of churches say, boy, we believe in children's ministry, we're a big fan of it. But then you start peeling the pages back, and you realize, well, it's not supported. It's being run by a volunteer who's not resourced. There's no encouragement given. It absolutely can be done with volunteers. And the the volunteers at, at our campuses are the reason the kids come back. It's not because of the staff. It's because of the volunteers. And uh, but for what a senior pastor can do even with a volunteer-led children's ministry is to champion that ministry and then do everything that he can to make sure that that ministry is resourced and positioned to succeed. We all know that the whatever whatever's nearest and dearest to this the senior pastor's heart is what the people are going to hear about most often. And the reality is if you want to reach young families in your church, you have to have a healthy children's ministry. You just can't reach young families and not have a healthy, effective children's ministry, whether it's run by paid staff or by volunteers. Uh, they're, in essence, they're, they're led the same way. You position them to succeed, resource them, champion them, and then do everything you can to, uh, to help them succeed. One of the chapters I absolutely loved in your book was your chapter on implementing change. And uh, it's one of those chapters that, that, like I said, I think anyone who's in any leadership role really uh, it would be helpful for them to read through it. One of the things that you kind of touch upon is this idea that you kind of came upon through your own experiences, and it's kind of a three-part piece to leading change. It's discovery, disruption, and then development. 
Can you kind of walk us through that? Sure. The the discovery is uh, it's it's pretty much in the book. I talk about you know I've read a lot of books like I'm sh- like I'm sure you have Jason about uh, change and both from the church world and and the corporate world and there's a a format a pattern uh, a formula and all of them to follow. But one of the things that I I uh, did stumble upon was the same process that I was beginning to apply in my children's ministry of asking, you know, uh, why do we exist? Who are we trying to reach? And in asking those five key questions, I realized that those five key questions are instrumental in implementing change. And we all know implementing change in the local church is no small matter. It can be, uh, to say it's taxing is an understatement. Right. Uh, uh, some senior leaders have had that I know of have had to leave churches because they tried to implement necessary change, and it was met with such resistance that that working relationship was was severed. But the that discovery happens when the when the leader realizes, you know, we're doing good things, but we could with just a not a major overhaul but just a few simple steps in the right direction this could be exponentially more effective than what it is and sometimes it's that realization that we're not that far away sometimes it's that that discovery piece is an, a, a real acute awareness of the seriousness of children's ministry and that's that's one of the things that happened with me i put in the book what i was calling a um a landscape map that just, and I used it as a visual because I'm just so visually oriented. I used it, used it as a, as a visual to help me just kind of chart some of the themes, some of the obstacles that our elementary students were facing on a day-to-day basis. And I just started listing them out and I just, and I kind of plotted them on a map and just thought, okay, this map represents, this section of the map represents a typical day in the life of one of our elementary students. And I started just plotting the things that I knew firsthand our kids were dealing with. And these are adult-type themes. And when I saw that, it really rocked my world. And I realized, wow, no, I can't give in to frustration and quit. No, we can't just coast through this. It's not okay to just have cool programming. This is serious stuff. And that sense of discovery really pushed to that next level, which is uh, that disruption, where at some point there has to be a disruption between what has been and what could be. Mm. And that disruption, uh, because anything that, that's in a, in a pattern will stay in that pattern until there's a disruption, whether that's an, uh, an orbit or um, you know, something that's, that falls inside of a groove it will stay in that pattern until it's disrupted. And many times in the church world, we're, we, we, we get into certain patterns, uh, whether it be because of tradition or whether it be because of just lack of vision or just busyness. And sometimes, quite frankly, it's because of success. We have something, a program or a ministry, something that's succeeding, and because it's succeeding, we leave it alone, and it stays in a certain pattern, and then pretty soon— in that discovery phase, we, we come to realize, wow, this isn't succeeding as much as we thought it was. Right. But something has to disrupt that pattern. It has to kind of knock it off kilter. And then once that happens, 
then you can move into that that last phase where you start to develop the next approach. Yeah, that, that's solid. So discovery leads to disruption, and that disruption then leads to that opportunity for development. Um, now, yeah. in, in your experience, what are some of the, the landmines to diffuse or to avoid when it comes to leading change and kind of leading your, your team or your people through that change? Well, one of them right out of the gate is timing. You know, I, I was just sharing with my team this morning, it rarely, if ever, has my timetable and God's timetable ever been the same. Because, you know, I want to I wanna get through things quickly and move on, and God has a different plan. I think I'm ready to move on to stage three from stage two, and God's saying, uh, actually, no, you're not. And right. I need to hold you here, and you have more to learn. You have uh, more growth yet before you're ready for that next level. Well, the same principle with, with change is that with timing, a lot of times once a leader has had that discovery and, and they, they recognize uh, an avenue to create that disruption, they just want to plow through and do it. But the better approach is instead of, because uh, I've come into situations where I had that discovery moment, it led to a disruption in the way that I was thinking, a disruption in the way that I formalize how I do things, and that led to developing a new approach. And then I come into a team, whether it be staff or volunteers, and then I inform them of what we're going to do next. But they've not had the discovery and the disruption. All they're getting is the plan that I developed. So they've, they've missed out on that whole process. And what they're thinking is, well, he's he's taken away a successful program or I developed that or wait a second. We, we just invested, you know, a whole lot of money in that. Why would we stop doing it now? And so now they're going into a defense mode because they've not had an opportunity to go through the same process that I went through. That's why I suggest that the leader has a real keen sense of timing. And instead of just thrusting it upon the people, lead them through the exact same process that they went through. Just start a dialogue about what's happening. Start asking, you know, the why question. You know, so why are we doing this? Guys, let's talk about this. Why are we doing this, this program? And a lot of times you just start that dialogue and people will take you right to that next point just in the conversation because it, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in the circles I've been in where we start saying, well, guys, why do we do this event? Because for me to come in and just kill the event, it's a sacred cow. Well, now I've got a fight on my hands. Well, instead of doing that, I come in, and we just start talking about why we're doing it. Let's, let's talk about the purpose behind it, guys, and, the, and, and, and what we hope to accomplish. And, and just in those discoveries, a lot of times the conversation will go right to, well, you know what? It really isn't doing what it used to do. No, it's not? Well, Let's talk that through. What do you guys think? What, what, what do you think we should do? What, what would be a good reason for uh, investing in this event? And then it, it moves right from there you know, to the audience. From there, it moves to the, uh, well, how are we going to do it? And then to the what? So it's a beautiful journey, but it just simply takes time. And I think one of the key elements is once a leader has come to that, that discovery and disruption stage, and now they've already started uh, developing that new approach it's smart at that point to to pause and then go back to the team or to your people 
and start leading them down that very same journey. That That is so good because I think oftentimes what, what we might think of as, as pastors is that, you know, our role is, you know, to, to hash through the discovery, disruption, you know, all that fun stuff. And then we've got almost kind of this finished idea that we then present. And as leaders, we present that and we kind of help people to buy into that idea. And then we try to run with it. But really what you're saying is that as we personally have processed through that, then we need to pause and not just throw that that new development out there and, and try to get everyone to buy in. But really, we need to help them walk through that process. We need to take them through the discovery, through the disruption, so that they can sense it, so they can feel it and have kind of the, the emotion that you've already gone through as a leader, that they can experience that same those same feelings and wrestle with those same questions so that that development then becomes really a part of their journey and not just something that we've somehow imposed upon them, right? Exactly. And you, and you just said the key thing, something that we've imposed upon them. If they're walking that journey with us, then it's not us taking something from them or it's not us imposing something on them. It's together. We together walk through this. We formulated this. We came to these conclusions together. And what I've also discovered is by doing that, there have been many times where where I thought I had the development side dialed in, but in those conversations and in that dialogue, discovered that the better idea, the better development came uh, from the group, not from me. What I thought was going to be the, the game plan, a better game plan, came out of those conversations as everyone's hearts and minds began to align uh, in a, towards a, a common objective. And then incredible ideas surfaced that were so much better than the ideas that I had. Uh, and, and that's when it becomes a, a real true win for everyone. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about God. God, you know, ministering to us and engaging us through a community is that we have those other voices to help bring things up that we might not see as leaders ourselves. I can see how, how powerful that is. That's excellent. Now, what if you're in a position where you're not really the decision maker, but you see the need for change? Um, how do you kind of help usher in that, that change? Are, are there ways that, that you can do that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a part of leading up. And I've had people ask me before, uh, you know, to define leading up, and there have been much smarter people than me to define that. But I separate it like this. Leading up is when my senior pastor is unaware of either an unintended consequence or unaware of a lack of resources that that, uh, are being given to a certain area, I can lead up with him by not just saying, Pastor, if you don't give us X, Y, and Z, then this is going to fall apart. But I can lead up by helping him to understand, Pastor, this is where we are. You wanted us to go here. Your vision was to go here. But it's going to be very difficult to do that uh, if we stay on our current trajectory. So I just want to make you aware of where things were. Leading up is when you're, you're helping your senior leader given him the information he needs to make a good, informed decision. The opposite of that is manipulation. Manipulation is when I'm doing the same thing, but it's not the church that benefits, it's me personally that benefits. 
And I think some people get that mixed up. If the church at large benefits, if the ministry is going to benefit from it, then it is leading up. But if I personally benefit from it, and I'm the only one that benefits from it, then I should be very cautious because it very well could be fallen into that realm of manipulation. And with a staff pastor who is not who may, or even a volunteer who's not a decision maker, one of the keys for them is patience. You consistently lead up, and then you're patient. All along, uh, aligning with leadership and understanding that it's not going to, it's probably not going to happen quickly. And like I said before, it's probably not going to happen inside your timetable, but you're not trying to go from zero to 60 in two days. You just want to take one step in the right direction. As long as it's moving in the right direction and you've done all that you can, you can feel good about it. You know, I, I, I at times will have ideas or uh, thoughts or opinions about things that are outside my lane, and I can offer those. Um, I can give input, but the reality is is I, I'm not going to be the one making that decision. But what I can do is I can look back into my lane, the things that, that I am directly responsible for, the areas where uh, I do make uh, decisions, and I can make sure that the decisions that I'm making that I do have the privilege of making are moving that project or that or or that initiative in the right direction so that hopefully my senior pastor will see that and recognize, oh yeah, this is on a good line. Uh let's let's do some things to accentuate this. Let's do some things to keep this moving in, in this direction because it, it has some some momentum behind it. Even though I'm not the decision maker, there are still things I can do to uh move that forward. And a lot of that, it, it, even though it sounds a little, sounds a little passive, a lot of that is just uh, doing things that that reassure your senior pastor that you are aligned with them. Re- doing things that assure your senior pastor that, man, I realize that you uh, you didn't make the decision I was hoping that you would make. That's your opportunity to show that you're aligned. That's going to build confidence in your senior leader those other moments when you do need to lead up to him and, uh, and, and give him what he needs to make a good informed decision. So patience, I think I've went a long way to say when you're not a decision maker, uh, patience is the key. Yeah, that, that's good. And, and it sounds like you're even saying that, that part of that patience is kind of going back to that discovery process. In a way, you're trying to help invite that, that leader who is above you to kind of maybe start discovering some of these things that you're seeing or you're sensing that they may not have yet discovered themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent, Steve. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, taking time to be with us, and I know that our our listeners are going to gain some great insights from you uh, in regard to to leadership and and just kind of generally. I mean, there's some great things. And again, Children's Ministry on Purpose is your new book, and it's written for children's ministers, but there's so many rich things that we've even explored today in today's episode um, in regard to leadership generally that I think are very, very valuable, and, and I just certainly thank you for sharing those with our people today. Thanks, Jason. I've enjoyed the conversation. Hey, Steve, um, if people want to connect with you, um, how can they best connect with you? Uh, well, there are two ways. We have um, I have a blog called uh, More Than Puppets. It's morethanpuppets.com. There's a place there where they can connect with me and also uh, a website that offers some supplemental material to the book. That's com. 
We will have those in our show notes for our listeners so they can connect with you. And Steve, I just want to thank you for being with us today and for the many years that you've contributed to ministering to children. Uh, Such a pleasure to have you and, and some really great leadership insights that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really did enjoy our time, Jason. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode. We certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you are indeed finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, we'd appreciate you taking just a few moments to jump over onto iTunes and to leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders find our podcast so they can benefit as well. We thank you so much in advance. And until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.